the book of Romans. I'm going to read Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 11 through 24. Paul says, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not, but through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Now, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them, For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive tree, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness... Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree? So my sermon title is, Therefore Consider the Olive Tree. And I say that, I love that, that word, therefore, because he's, he says, I'm telling you something, and because of what I'm telling you, therefore, you need to consider. Therefore, you need to think about this. Therefore, you need to get this down in your spirit. So Paul here, he is showing that the rejection of Israel was never total. And so he declares now that it's not final, that there is coming a time when the remnant of Israel shall believe and be restored to the church, for God has reserved a remnant according to his promise to Israel. The gospel could not be preached to the Gentiles until it had first been offered to and rejected by the Jewish people. Their rejection then opened the door for the rest of the world. So Paul here uses the illustration taken from the practice of those who engraft trees. The useless branches are those which bear poor fruit, are cut off, and a better kind is inserted. The olive tree was sometimes cultivated, and that cultivation was necessary in order to render it fruitful. The cultivated olive tree is of a moderate height, Its trunk is knotty, its bark smooth and ash-colored. Its wood is solid and yellow. The leaves are oblong and almost like those of the willow of a green color. The wild olive is smaller in all its parts. And the wild olive tree was unfruitful. It's bare, or, or its fruit was very imperfect and useless. And so the ancient writers here are explaining that This wild olive tree being unfruitful and barren, it's it's the emblem then, while while the cultivated olive tree produced much fruit. 
So the meaning here is that the Gentiles had been like a wild olive tree, unfruitful. They had grown up in the wild and according to their sin nature. And the Jews had been a cultivated olive tree long under the training and blessing of God. But what happened here is that because of Israel's unfaithfulness to God, they were cut off and another branch was grafted in. So it says the process of grafting consists in inserting a young shoot into another tree. To do this, a useless limb is removed and the engrafted limb produces fruit according to a new nature or kind and not according to the tree in which is inserted. So in this way, a tree which bears no fruit or whose branches are decaying may be recovered and become then valuable. The figure that the apostle here is using is a very vivid figure. Um, Most of the people at this time would understand agriculture and engrafting and what this looked like. And so the ancient root or stock is that of Abraham was good. So it says the root is good. But the branches had become decayed and unfruitful of this root. So the Lord broke them off and the Gentiles then had been grafted into this stock to restore the decayed vigor of the ancient people of God. And so therefore a fruitless church had become vigorous and flourishing. But the apostle soon proceeds to keep the Gentiles from boasting on account of this. It is true they were broken off, he says, but in order to show that there was no occasion for boasting, he adds that the Jews were not rejected in order to admit others, but because of their unbelief. And that their fate should have a beneficial impression on the Gentiles who might be rejected for the same cause. What's interesting is I I often... I read a ton of different stuff. And people that are um, of the once saved, always saved camp, they say that only Israel could be cut off. You can't under the new covenant. And I'm like, well, that's not what Paul says here. He said, as Israel is cut off, he said, listen, you can be cut off in the same way and for the same cause. And Paul says to them, you stand by faith So the continuance of these mercy to you depends on then your fidelity to the Lord. If you are faithful, you will be preserved. But if like the Jews, you become unbelieving and unfruitful, like them, you will also be rejected. This fact should repress any kind of boasting, but produce in them the fear of the Lord. So Paul says, don't be haughty, don't be prideful of your your privileges in Christ. Don't boast, don't have vain self-confidence, but stand in fear. Now this is not a terror or horror, but a fear. It denotes humility, a watchfulness, and a solicitude to abide in the faith. Paul goes on, if God did not refrain from rejecting the Jews who became unbelievers, assuredly he will not refrain from rejecting you in the same circumstances. He will be quite as ready to reject the engrafted branches 
as to cast off those which belong to the parent stock. Therefore, regard, he says, or contemplate for purposes of your own benefit the dealings of God. So look at the dealings of God, that we should look on all of his dispensations of judgment and of mercy and derive the lessons from both of these to promote our own steadfastness and adherence to the faith of the gospel. He says, consider both his goodness and his severity. His goodness is that benevolence or mercy of God towards us and admitting to us his favor. And this calls for a gratitude, calls for love, it calls for confidence. It demands expressions of thanksgiving. It should be highly prized. And the severity of God, now severity usually suggests uh, an idea of harshness, but here it literally denotes a cutting off. So severity denotes just a cutting off as a gardener or vine dresser and trimming trees or vines cut off decayed or useless branches. And so it refers to the act of God in cutting off or rejecting the Jews as useless branches. And it is nothing out of injustice, cruelty, or harshness. It's an act that is consistent with the holiness of a good and just God. So, What's Paul telling us? That we need to learn from the example of the Jewish people and consider their ways. Walk in the fear of the Lord, removing all haughtiness and boasting and be faithful. And this is a real warning in scripture. And it's interesting to me that I'm preaching on this yet once again. As I do not pick which portions of scripture I'm going to preach on Wednesday night. And if you guys have been here, Pastor Jay has said that before. He goes through and he just kind of uh, cuts up the scriptures and then he asks who's available when and he just gives it to us. And every single instance of apostasy in the book of Hebrews fell on me. (laughs) Every single instance. And here we are again in the book of Romans and again... I am preaching on apostasy once again. And I was telling someone the other night, I said, you know, I I really do believe that this is part of the calling of God on my life. If you look back when I first got saved and I had my Bible, and in my Bible, all that I underlined and highlighted was apostasy and judgment in my first Bible. And I said, might just been I was called to this. This is a real warning in scripture. It's a serious warning. Why are people so quick and willing to believe the promises and the blessings of God, but so easily dismiss the warnings? It's as if they come to God as if a man wrote this and not it's the authoritative word of a holy God. These are real and serious warnings to God's people. The very first thing that Paul wants us to know is that we need to consider the natural and fruitless olive tree. This word consider means to know it, be aware of it, have knowledge of it, understand it. So it's not just a read and walk away and forget what it says. It's study it, 
so you can understand what happened. The writer of Hebrews gives us a very similar story. I'm going to read a a pretty large portion of scripture. Um, In uh, Hebrews chapter 3, I'm going to read into Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation and said, They always go astray in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you in an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our confidence, steadfast to the end, while it is said, again, he says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. What's he telling us? He's bringing back Israel and saying, listen believers Israel did this and this is what happened and I'm I'm telling you pay attention to how they came to be cut off as the people of God he says for who having heard rebelled indeed was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses now with whom was he angry 40 years was it not with those who sinned whose corpses fell in the wilderness and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest but to those who did not obey so we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief therefore since a promise remains of entering his rest let us fear there it is again let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath they shall not enter my rest. He goes again, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place on the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh day from all his work, and again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter in, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter in because of disobedience, again, he designates a certain day, saying, in David today after such a long time as has been said today if you will hear his voice do not harden your hearts skip ahead to verse 11 let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience So the writer of Hebrews is telling us the same thing. He says, listen, consider the children of Israel so that you don't fall into the same example of disobedience. If this wasn't possible, why even mention it? Just to scare us? Has anyone ever told you a story and prefaced it with, pay attention to the story I'm going to tell you so that you don't do what this person did. <laughs> and I had, you know, I have this testimony in my past. I, my kids know all about my past. They know all about my sinful ways. Um, and I told them, don't do what I did. And I don't understand why some parents don't want to be honest with their children about their past and about their sinful ways. Like, listen, 
It's a testimony. Don't do what I did. Don't hang out with the people I hung out with. Don't go the places that I went. Don't, don't give yourself over to the sin that I gave myself over to. I told them the statistics of early drinking and alcoholism. I told them about sexual deviancy and how, what it did to my heart. I, the things that I did to end up in jail and the precarious situations I put myself in. I told my kids these things. Consider my life and the destruction that I reap from a life lived for myself and my own pleasure. Understand the wages of my sin created nothing but death in my life. My kids know about my past sexual sin and drug abuse. They know how I overdosed and I almost died. You have to be honest with your kids. Don't romanticize your sin. The word doesn't glean over sin. And if you don't have, if you don't have my history, send your kids to me and I'll talk to them for you. I've actually done that for a couple people. And if we don't learn from the failure of Israel, we are doomed to fall into their same sins. Well, what were their sins? 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 12 tells us, it says, Moreover, brethren, I don't want you to be unaware that our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. It's interesting because he says Christ was with them in the Israel in the Old Testament. So we can't say, well, that was Old Testament. We didn't have Christ. And he says, no, no, no. Christ was with them. He was with them. But with most of them, oh, that's interesting because that's a big word, most. God was not pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Now these things became our examples. There he says again, this is an example to us. To the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted. Do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. In one day, 23,000 fell. That's a lot. Nor let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain, ooh, as some of them complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed, lest he fall. Oh, interesting. So what are, what are some of the things we should watch out for? Well, a lust for evil things. This is a longing for, coveting, desiring anything that God has said, no. Anything that God has told you don't touch, you don't touch. But, you know, Jesus actually went a little further. He said, he didn't say just not touch. He said, keep your heart pure. And you would do well to remember that Satan fell not for what he did, but for what was in his heart. Lust for evil things. Idolatry. This is setting anything above or equal to God and his word. Because that's what people don't see is idolatry. Is that, you know, your ways or your way of doing something and you make it equal to the word of God. No, 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 no. There's no equal to God's word. God's word, God's ways is above everything else. So you don't make anything equal to the word of God. This includes idolatry of self. Self-confidence, self-exaltation, or own ideas about something, worldly philosophies. You know, people are trying to make that world philosophy equal to the word of God. No, 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 no. 
Sexual immorality. It's a shame that I even have to say this nowadays, but sexual immorality is any sex outside the marriage covenant between one man and one woman. One biological man and biological woman. (laughs) Shocking you have to say that nowadays. Some of them tempted Christ. This is to test, scrutinize, or prove. To try the Lord. This is interesting to me as I was studying this. It means to come to the point where he will have to show himself to be God. You're testing him of whether or not he will punish you. It's, I can do this because I'm under grace type people. You're testing God to see whether or not he'll actually punish you. The Israels had by their longing after the things left behind in Egypt tested God so that God had asserted himself in visiting them with punishment. So we have to be on our guard not to tempt the Lord by lusting after worldly and physical pleasure from which he by his death delivered us. And in the Corinthian church here, some of them were indulging in sensuality and longing for the false liberty that they enjoyed before conversion. He said complaining. Oh, isn't that interesting? Murmuring, grumbling. Now, complaining is the very opposite of thanksgiving. And if you were here on Sunday, Pastor John talked about that, of giving the thanks in all things. Complaining shows God we are not satisfied with his provision. And it's the opposite of gratitude. Murmuring is a half-suppressed or muttered complaint. Oh, they were murmurers. Murmuring will destroy a church. It's often a veiled complaint under the guise of, you know, I'm really concerned about this. We had a bunch of mutterers when we started a building campaign. Because, you know, I don't know what it is about money, but it always brings out the worst in people. Yeah. What do, you, do you, know what, you know what pastor did with that money? Do you know what he did with that money? Why do you care? That's what I want to know. Why do you even, why do you even care? Because my responsibility is to bring my tithes in, bring my offering in, and whatever they do with it is on them. It ain't on me. I'm going to answer to God for my bringing. They're going to answer to God for what they do with it. Why do you care? It's God's anyways. I don't understand. Once it's out of my hands, I just don't care. The apostle Jude, while describing apostates and false teachers, he said, these are grumblers, complainers. Walk in according to their own lusts and mouth, great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. People don't consider this severity. God is holy and therefore his punishment is just. Now, after I told my kids to learn from my mistakes, I told my kids to consider the goodness the Lord has shown me. Because my children are reaping a harvest from my faithfulness. I shared of his goodness to forgive all my sins and make me a new creation. 
I told him of his goodness to give me a loving and faithful husband and allowing me to have children even though I so recklessly destroyed my body. And his goodness to me to use me in his service and to give me beautiful gifts. And it makes me want to weep how good God's been to me. Knowing that I do not deserve any of it. I shared this with my children. Continue in this same goodness and live a life of gratitude. And I hope that I've modeled a life of gratitude and faithfulness to the Lord. Because I love him with all my heart and all he has forgiven me. Share the goodness of God. The goodness and the severity of God. And after we come to a full understanding of what happened to Israel, it should squash any ounce of haughtiness or pride. But instead produce in us the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth I hate. Paul says, don't be haughty, but fear. And the fear of the Lord is more than just a respect for God. It's a reverential affection and love for him at the same time of a hatred for sin and evil. And it's both. You ha- it's both. The fear of the Lord, everything in the fear of the Lord is, is that. It's a love for God, a strong faith and great joy and courage. But it's opposed to pride and self-confidence. It's knowing God is holy and good and righteous. And he's, he, he, he operates in his love and his goodness. But it's to hate evil and hate what God hates at the same time. So if you don't, if you don't hate evil and hate what God hates, sin and unrighteousness, you lack the fear of the Lord. There can never be a truce between the kingdoms of light and darkness. If we are a friend of one, we are an enemy of the other. So he says, when when we don't keep a tight rein on our lips, there's sins of speech, lies and deceit, slandering, murmuring, complaining. He said, many were destroyed for complaining. We show a lack of fear of God. When we lie, we show kinship to Satan. You're never more like Satan than when you lie. He's the father of lies. The word slander is from the Greek diablos. Oh, interesting. The devil. When you slander, you are like the devil. You're using the devil's tongue. And just because you would say something to someone's face doesn't mean you should say it. There's people that like confrontation. They like to say things to people's faces like, well, I'm not slandering you. I'm just going to say it to your face. It's still slander. It's not good. It's not right. It's not pure. It's not true. And God takes our words very seriously, and we will give an account for every word that we say. God hates the perverted mouth. That's the fear of the Lord. When you operate in the fear of the Lord, here's a few of things the fear of the Lord brings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, brings wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, brings knowledge. The fear of the Lord brings instruction. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, is a fountain of life, and leads to life. The fear of the Lord is a treasure. 
The fear of the Lord is strong confidence. The man who fears the Lord is blessed, has riches, honor, and life. These are beautiful. Why would you not? The fear of the Lord keeps you from sinning. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord keeps you from envy. Those are beautiful promises of God when we operate in the fear of the Lord. So Paul says, consider the goodness and severity of God. Have the fear of the Lord. And he says, lastly, we have to be faithful. God requires that his servants be found faithful and fruitful. We are to be found faithful. And I meet a lot of people that say things like, well, I used to. I used to do this for God. I used to attend that church. I used to believe. I used to read my Bible. You know, but I got tired of people being mean. Okay. Aren't people mean on your job? You still go to work? (laughs) I got tired of being rejected. Okay. Are you not rejected? Welcome to following Christ. (laughs) Some people don't just used to because they don't want to anymore. Or they used to because my favorite, God told me to stop. Interesting. Interesting. I don't buy it. I don't buy it because faithfulness to the Lord is until the end. There's no used to. The used to is death. The used to is death. These gifts, these talents are not even our own. We are stewards of the gifts of God. We are stewards of these things. It belongs to the Lord and he has entrusted us with that gift You can't do with it what you want. That's what it means. You're a steward of it. You're not allowed to do with it what you want to do. It's meant to bless others and bring glory to the Father. God expects us to use these things until death. Revelation 2.10 says, Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. Paul tells us in Corinthians, Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. A steward has to be faithful. You must be found faithful unto the end. The unfaithful servant is given the title wicked or evil. In Matthew 24, verses 45 through 51, it says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil, it's the same word as wicked in the Greek, servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming. It begins to beat his fellow servants to eat and drink with the drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him into sounds like a cutting off and appoint him as portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's interesting, the word wicked here 
Now, in other places, it's representative of initial character. Here, it's a degeneracy from original virtue or diseased. Oh, it's diseased. In the parable of the wicked servant, he becomes diseased. It's a degeneracy from his original virtue. He stops doing that which is good, right, pure, and true, and begins to sin with the rest of the world. In short, he stops being faithful. And Jesus is returning for a faithful church. It is required in stewards that one be found faithful. And faithful is translated in the Greek as one word in every single scripture it's mentioned. It's defined as trustworthy, sure, and true. It's from a root, word, a root word meaning to have confidence in. So therefore it means that God himself finds you trustworthy. And he has confidence in you. A faithful servant he has confidence in. And how marvelous is that that the creator of the universe will one day say to his trustworthy people, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithfulness includes a fidelity to the Lord himself and to his word. Because we are not only stewards of his gifts, but we are stewards of the truth. We are stewards of the word of God. We are stewards of the truth of God. So you can't just say, well, I'm doing a work for God and not have the truth of God. We are stewards of God's word. We are stewards of God's truth. We have to guard it because I'm telling you right now, folks, that we are in a culture that you can say, I believe in God, but tell them marriage is between a man and a woman and you're going to be hated. And you will be called every name in the book and you will be rejected and despised by men. You better be found faithful. If you leave off the truth, you have left the faith. God's people are commanded in scripture to live in a manner distinct from the surrounding culture. Our goal is not to fit in, but to stand out as people who live by a moral standard given by God. And the greatest thing about faithfulness is that it takes zero talent to be faithful. It takes zero talent to be faithful. You don't have to be highly intelligent. You don't have to be blessed with awesome traits. You don't have to sing well, preach well, write well, or teach well. You just have to be faithful. You just have to be faithful. And stewardship is until the end. Be honest. What are you letting get in the way? What are you letting get in the way? Are you selfish with your time? Have you been offended? Do you have a fear of man? Are you a people pleaser? You have to get over yourself. We were an offense to God. We have no right to harbor an offense toward anyone else. Are you letting pride get in the way? Humble yourself. Get planted in a church and stop uprooting yourself every few years. You are destroying your ability to produce a good crop. Paul never stopped preaching, even from prison, and he died alone with most people forsaking him. Yet he never stopped. 
Our faith is precious and must be protected at all costs. Faithfulness requires discipline to guard your heart and your mind, discipline to guard the word of God. And once you start to distrust God's word, you will be cut off. Consider the olive tree. And I want to leave you with this story. John Akwari was a marathon runner who represented Tanzania in the Olympic marathon in 1968. He didn't win a medal. In fact, he came nowhere near. But in defeat and in pain, he came to represent something much more profound and enduring than many sportsmen achieve in illustrious careers. Akwari was never likely to win the marathon, but his chances were wrecked when perhaps because of the effects of the high altitude, he succumbed to cramps that slowed his progress. If that was painful, then worse was to come. After he was involved in a melee of athletes jockeying for position, Akwari fell to the ground, gashing his knee and causing a dislocation. He also smashed his shoulder against the pavement. Most observers, seeing his injuries, assumed he would pull out and go to the hospital. Instead, he received medical attention and returned to the track to continue his race. His pace, of course, was now much lower, but his resolve to complete the event remained intact. 18 of the 75 starters had pulled out. He did not wish to add to that number. And so, more than an hour after the winner, Akwari crossed the line in last place, cheered home by a few thousand spectators who'd remained in the stadium after the sun went down. By the time he reached the stadium, he was limping and the bandage across his le- around his leg was flapping in the breeze. He was asked why he'd carried on in his response, has gone down in sporting history. My country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race, he said. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish. Paul said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Faithfulness is to the end. We were not sent here to start. We were sent here to finish. Amen. 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 Russ, will you pray? I just want to give you an opportunity to respond to the message tonight and consider the olive tree. If there's anything that the Spirit spoke to you, take care of it. Please, I adjure you by the living God. Take care of it. Consider the goodness and the severity of God. Don't be haughty, but fear. Take care of it. If you feel hopeless and discouraged, you don't feel like you can finish, ask the Lord for strength. Our whole motto this year was strengthen yourself in the Lord. And the Lord will give you strength to complete the race. And you can endure to the end on the strength of our almighty God. If you need some rest, sit down and rest and let him feed you. But get back up and keep going. We were sent here to finish. Not start. We were not just sent here to start. You have to finish. Finish strong and finish well. 
want to give you an opportunity that if you don't know the Lord, to respond to the Holy Spirit. You are a sinner in need of a Savior, lost in sin, far from God, that we were enemies of God. And while we were enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us that we could become sons of God. If you say, I know that I'm not a son of God. I've never repented of my sins. I've never received Christ's forgiveness. I just want you to take this time right now to ask the Lord to forgive you of your sins and to translate you into his kingdom of the Holy Spirit to receive forgiveness and the power to become a son or daughter of God. And I'm not going to even ask you to raise your hand. Just pray to him if you need that. If you need salvation. If you want someone to come, if you want someone to pray with you, someone will pray with you. The second thing is if you've been far from God. You say, I've been far from God and I've been doing these things and I'm in danger of being cut off. Just come to your senses. Just repent and run back to the Father and he's waiting to receive you with open arms. He loves you. He wants you to return Thank you so much for joining us today online. We want to encourage you to like our Facebook page, follow us on social media. If you're a regular watcher of Faith and Victory Online, would you please send us a message because we want to get to know you. We want to be connected with you. Make sure you like and share this video, and we'll see you next week at Faith and Victory Church. We love you. Have a great day.